You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. This is the World Football Program. My name is Sean Kelly and I'm with you for the next two hours until Lenny comes in with the jazz program. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful Celtic Ramblings program. Uh, a couple of top guys they are to follow on the, the show and very professional in their presentations. Um, in the studio today I did say we're going to have a special guest and a didn't realise just how special until young Vince Matassa said, yes, I can be there. Um, Vince, formerly of Perth Glory, uh, Perth Kangaroos, Woking and Sterling uh, Macedonia. So, Vince, good morning and welcome. Thank you very much, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Yeah, oh, look, it's great to have you on board. A um, couple of things I didn't know about you, degree in psychology. <laughs> That's right. I'm not sure if it's helped my soccer career. Maybe on the penalty shootouts facing those strikers, maybe that helped. Well, they, they say that uh, most goalkeepers are mad, so you can fix yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the other thing I didn't know was that you spent some time in Thailand in the diplomatic service. That's right. Yeah, I, uh, a career after soccer turned out to be one which involved a fair bit of travel, and uh, I've really enjoyed it and taken the family around. And you can imagine that every place we've been to has always involved going to the local football matches. <laughs> so, oh, look, and, and the Thais love their football. They do. It was great. Great fun, and my, my boys still still wear Thai football shirts around the house that we bought a few when we were there. So nothing wrong uh, with that, mate. Nothing fun. wrong with that. It, football is football. I just thought it was, it was very very interesting. And you're involved in the football hall of fame now. That's right. Yeah, I, I kind of ended up back in Perth about two years ago, and uh, it's been 15 years since since we kind of left here as our base, and felt like I wanted to give a little bit back to the local scene, and that was yeah. one opportunity there with the Football Hall of Fame with Liz Ray as the president and the, the, building the committee basically, and uh, I, I lobbed down to my old club Melville or Murdoch University Melville, it's called these days. So yeah. my, my boys are registered there, so that's gone the full circle. So that's been nice. 
Yeah, Penny kept that quiet. <laughs> That's great. Um, and I think the last time I saw you play would have been a cup game between Ashfield and Sterling. Where Ashfield progressed through to the final, so oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny because the in terms of the local league, I think as a goalkeeper, you do tend to have to fill in spots. Sometimes you can sign on short-term loans, and, and I've even lost count of the number of local clubs I ended up playing for there towards the end when Glory had finished its season. I mean, certainly Sterling was one, but but Florida Athena had a stint. North Perth Croatia. Um, Dinella Serbia even, Spearwood a couple of games. I think I'm pretty much... And Perth, you know, Perth Soccer Club was one of my first professional clubs, as it were. Mm. So I think I've nearly ticked all the boxes for the clubs. Makes <laughs> <laughs> me completely neutral, of course. Yeah, oh, of course. Uh, look, it's, it's just great that you, you've had a, a football career and that you've you know, been able to do something since then. And I think working in diplomatic service would have been very, very interesting. It has been, yeah, and um, as I said, I think football, I mean, must have been something to do with it, but the love of, of other cultures, and my background, my father being Italian as well, but, um, you know, the love of other cultures and football being a, a, the language of the world almost, so it meant that from an early age I was I was watching other cultures, other football games, and so it felt kind of natural to think when I needed to find a, a new career, a real job for want of a better word, um, that finding something that had that travel internationally was was you know, it seemed very normal to me. And so I was really, really happy about that. And as I said, every, every time we've travelled to another country, whether it's short term, or whether it's long term, uh, being able to just join in the local park game of football has been a really good way to make friends there. And, and you know, that's literally what I've done on a number of occasions, just turned yeah. up and started kicking the ball around. Oh, I've said this plenty of times. I mean, um, rocked up into Australia with literally well, no one really as a network, joined a football club. And within a very short time, that, that became my family, my network into the community. And I think, you know, uh, we talk about homes of football and, and community hubs, but football clubs are very much that. And, and they look after each other. And then when you're in you know, places like um, Melville and Perth, the, the communities really do come together. And it's, it's good to see the, the people looking after each other. I've made lifelong friends through joining football clubs. Yeah, I, I think that's what struck me as well coming back here to, to Melville, which of course when I left 20 years ago was it was a decent junior club, not not too big, and I've come back and it's one of obviously one of the, the biggest junior clubs yeah. now in Perth. And I think the links between the junior teams, the masters, the women's, uh, the amateurs, the socials, I think that's where Melville, and not the only club, but that's where you suddenly feel like the club is is doing the right thing because you have all these crossover links. The, the dad's playing in the Masters, their son and daughters are playing the juniors, they might have a, a, someone else in the amateurs. It was and, much the same I, when I was at Forestfield. Yeah. You know, the, the kids were, were one part of it. We were playing either in the amateurs or the Masters and on the committee and, you know, the, mm. the whole thing just kept feeding and itself. That, it's, it's when it feels, as you say, it feels like you're part of the community. It's a, it's a real community club and uh, I think that's what, you know, it's going fantastically at Melville. Obviously, that's my club there, so I can see that close up. And I know a lot of other clubs have done the same thing, but it really has a good feel about it. Mm. And whilst we're on the, the theme of Mum tomorrow, they've got the Buster Vote Cup on tomorrow. Um, a big event and, you know, a tragic loss of Buster. But nice to see that the, the club is doing something um, to as a memorial for him, but very much something Buster would love to have been involved in. Yeah, and, and it's not just the adults who've kind of come up with this. The, the kids themselves, certainly that were Buster's teammates, but the same age group because a lot of them knew him as well, really... Yep. 
they really get quite uh, involved about it. They're very committed to this, certainly from the first year. So it, it's a great idea. And actually, my son came home. He's not part of any of the NPL teams. But he came home the other day and said, I want to go and watch them. Hmm. Uh, it's coming up this weekend. So they were talking about it at school and yep. it's becoming a real a real thing. And it's a great idea. Uh, yeah. And all profits from, from the day go through to the Hart Foundation. And if and you want to take a buzz past the... Uh, the university ground there, um, buy a ticket to the, the raffle. There's a, a glory shirt up for grabs. Mm. And there's been a few other fundraising as well. I know the Masters boys had a, had an Ashes cricket game last week, England yep. versus Australia, <laughs> with a few ring-ins, I think, from South America. And uh, all money raised there went to the Hart Foundation as well. So yeah. I think there's a few other events as well. It's a, really, it's a really nice idea. We're starting to build it bigger and bigger. Ring-ins from South America. Normally the Poms bring in the South Africans. I thought yeah. that would be... There, there, uh, there were a few digs <laughs> at the English team about having many English players. They were rubbish anyway, so oh, really okay. well, that's yeah. well, fair enough. Then that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow that. Um, in other news, obviously during the week we had the Perth Glory with a, a loss to Macarthur one nil um, in, in what was a pretty bad game all round. But then Daniel Sturridge does his groin. Um, yeah, no one wants to see that. We we really want to see him out there and performing and doing what he does best, banging goals in. Yeah, really frustrating given that, all things being equal, we'll see a bit of a run of home games coming up next month. And I think <laughs> myself... Sunday and, the 6th, yeah, 6th my, of March. Myself and many, many Glory supporters were really looking forward to seeing Daniel Sturridge back here after a little taster from that first game of the season against yeah. Adelaide. So really frustrating. Hopefully it's not too serious, but yeah, I guess time will tell. Yeah, I think the thing is, you see him, he's done it a couple of times. He's done that, that big, long stretch and, and he's pulled his groin. And I think the, the good thing about someone that's that experienced is you know that that stopped now. So he... he, he Pulled up almost immediately. He didn't push it any further. Didn't make any runs. And you know, someone stupid like myself would probably just play the rest of the game out with it and then end up missing the rest of the season. So, you know, it's, it, part of that professional mindset is knowing when when things are wrong and going, get me off now. I'm broke. Yeah, and, and it's been such a such a I mean, you know so many factors going against both Glory men's and women's this year in terms of the travel. But even the stop start nature of the games, when yeah. he, he got a bit of a run on. Then COVID hit, and they had you know three weeks where to keep himself fit, quarantine. So oh, it's, look, it's a horrendous yeah. season. And, and when we go through uh, at the end, we'll talk to Alex Parkers from uh, Perth Glory Women um, about their season. I mean, anyone's had it hard, they have, um, and they've really come good through that. That tribulation um talking about today's show we're going to start off uh, with greg farrell who's uh, one of our sponsors from futsal wa and we were talking to him about obviously futsal but also talk about the uh, the women's night series npl night series because that kicked off last night and um we're also going to talk a, a little bit about the Women's World Cup venues, which were announced as two in WA. Uh, one of them exists and the other one doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, then we're going to talk to John O'Reilly, who is the Armadale uh, City coach in the MPL. And we'll follow him up with Richie Abrams from Forestfield. Um, talk to him about his club and, and how they're shaping up for this season. They were in action last night in the night series. And then we'll finish off with Alex Epicus from uh, Perth Glory. So a lot going on in today's show. Um, what else is happening? Oh, we had a, a game last night, first game in the FFA Cup this season, where Balajura played Port Kennedy and Balajura came out, I think, 5-0 winners. So... They're through the preliminary round and into the, the, the cup proper. So good on you, Balladura. All right, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back very shortly with Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Oh, don't relax. 
Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Good for nothing lazy. Morning, beautiful. Oh, didn't you forget something? You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoe, Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Program. Okay, we're back in the room and joining us on the phone now is Greg Farrell of Futsal WA. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, mate. Um, how's things going in the wonderful world of futsal? Very good, actually. Um, we've, I'm, at, I'm down at, in Subiaco at the moment, the, the Super League. We've got just had our 15 and 17 boys playing. Um, girls are up now. We've got our 14 girls and then the 17s on a little bit later. Now, I was on your webpage the other night and I saw um, some, some video there of the national schools versus the Super League sides. Look very good. Yeah, so, well, we had a um, a, a weekend, uh, probably, I think it was the, the second or the, the last weekend in January, where we had some games for the, the kids who were meant to go to Brisbane for yep. the National School Futsal Championships, but because of COVID, they couldn't go. So they, they played against uh, a select team that we picked from the, the various junior Super League competitions and we live streamed all those games because obviously there's people with family all over the place, and it was a, a really good day. Yeah, no, it looked great. Uh, yeah. what, what comps are you going on at the moment? Sorry, what was that? What comps do you have going on at the moment? Uh, so we've got everything from elevens uh, upwards. So we've got in the the Super League, we've got elevens up to to the open men and women, and then we've got all of the all of the social football competitions as well, which. In, in Mount Lawley and, and Nedlands, where we've got Mount Lawley Football Club and West Perth. Um, we have juniors, we have mixed, we have social men's and social women's all the way down to sort of D grade. Yeah. Um, still to get you to come over and have a game, but <laughs> lots, of, lots of opportunities for anybody who, who has a, 
a tendency to want to try and kick a ball around. So if you're a, a former NSL Championship goalkeeper with, you know, still wants to, to have a bit of a kick around, it's, there's a, a place available for you? Mate, for, for people of that level and for people who don't know what they're doing as well. I, I think Vince qualifies on both counts. <laughs> yeah, not, not sure about these days. The ground's pretty hard, isn't it, when you dive on it? Yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. I, I was interested to find out how, I mean, obviously numbers have been increasing each year in terms of futsal. Are, are you finding a change in the reasons kids and, and young adults are playing futsal in terms of they look at it as a long-term thing or are they looking at it more as uh, an off-season from the outdoor game so much just to keep their skills fresh and perhaps improve their close touches and so on? What, what's the reason people are going into futsal these days? We, we do have more players now that are playing the game 12 months of the year um, and I think it's probably something that has scared football administrators and coaches and whatever else for a long time is that that spectre of the possibility that, oh, this player's very good and they may end up choosing futsal over football and that's one of the reasons for all the the garbage that futsal wrecks the touch of outdoor players and it makes them play with their head down and all that rubbish that people have been saying for a very long time. Um, and players are playing the game more and the ones who start off playing in the off-season quite often will then see the benefits to it and if their outdoor club's only doing two or three sessions a week plus a game, compared to what players in South America and Europe where they're doing four, five or six sessions a week, players look at it and go, well, I can play a game of football and do a football training session and then instead of three or four, I'm, I'm getting five or six. So more and more people are making that decision to play during the winter as well. And you look at the... Uh, in the WNPL over here and, and the MPL, in the WNPL, the numbers would be quite high. It would be up above probably 70% of players play play futsal as well. In the men's MPL, it's probably a little bit lower. I'd, I'd say probably about a quarter of those players play futsal. Um, but year-round, so clubs um, are, are getting a benefit from it as well because their players are, are, are getting more touches on the ball and are sharper. And a couple of them have played at a fairly reasonable level. Johnny Perkins, who's out at um, Perth Red Stars, um, I believe he was in the National Irish futsal team. So, you know, there certainly doesn't stop you from having a, an outfield career either. Oh, yeah. And uh, one, of, one of the big things is that you you look at the the way that futsal is around the world. Um, I, I've got, got friends who are still in the UK who used to play at a higher level uh, in the championship and and League 1, League 2 and and they've got young kids who are coming into squads now who have grown up playing football even in England. Um, When I was over there 17, 18 years ago, the game was only just starting. Mm. Like the the rest of Europe in the last 10 years, they've really embraced it as well. And Especially in the lower professional leagues, um, a lot of the clubs are now looking to have the opportunity to have indoor facilities. Obviously, the weather over there is a different situation to what we've got here, but it just means that they have different ways of training and, and they can use the indoor sessions for the outdoor professional clubs. Yeah, look, I think for, for close control, futsal really is the 
is the, is the way to perfect your touch. Um, you know, when you're in, in a tight situation and you've got to be able to move that ball quickly between your feet and then move it on, I think the futsal equips you really well for that. Yeah, it does. Well, and it also makes you be aware of what's going on around you more often. If you, if you watch an outdoor player playing a game of futsal for the first time or even in their first six months, quite often their heads are spinning because there's just so much movement and they've got to be aware every two or three seconds that they're, they're needed to receive the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and and an outdoor footballer, you get wingers or fullbacks who may not see the ball for three or four minutes. Yeah, you can't and hide in the futsal they, game. They come inside with a futsal court and it's like, oh God, the ball's coming back to me again. Oh, and it's coming back to me again. So they, they have to be more aware and more switched on. Yeah, and another thing um, I wanted to talk to you about was COVID. Obviously, you know, you, you love it because you become addicted to hand sanitizer in the process. But um, <laughs> Yes, I have. <laughs> um, have you noticed that there's any difference in the, the sign-up rates? Have you noticed that there are, uh, have your numbers dropped or are they increasing? Is there any sorts of trends from, from that? Because in Clubland, it seemed to notice that there's there's been a decline in registrations. Yeah, we have... We have had a slight drop off um, from, especially from the summer. Like when we were COVID free and everything was humming, we had really good numbers in the last couple of weeks because now there's more COVID in Perth. People are hesitant, um, and I think people are sort of seeing the numbers. and And the other thing then is that we've got a lot of young people playing the game, and they're going night clubbing and interacting with other people so we've had, had, had a lot of situations in the last couple of weeks where people have been close contact and have had to isolate um i think we, we've been very lucky that we haven't had uh a, a sort of a, a hot spot as far as i'm aware to do with look i, I football or, or football. i was in contact with a club during the week who have had a covid positive person um reported being at the club and yeah. it was quite interesting because of the COVID protocols that they had in place. They, they got uh, two COVID marshals um, they were making sure that mask mandates were met and everything else was running schmicko. Um, yeah. No one else at the club is, is deemed a close contact. They're, they're all um, clear at the moment and, and obviously, hopefully, we're, we're not going to have a problem. But I think... This is growing. There was over a 1,000 again today. The numbers are growing. I think by the end of next week, we'll be up to around 1,500. And I don't know of anyone who doesn't know someone who has been uh, a close contact or had a close contact in their family, Vince. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think, like, uh, I've said it a couple of times that we have been quite complacent over here because we haven't had to deal with it in close quarters. But I think... Over the last month, everyone's sort of adjusted to the fact that we are going to have to deal with it. Yeah. And I've, I've been quite happy. Like, I've had to put my teacher voice on a few times to ensure people are doing the right thing with social distancing and that sort of stuff and wearing masks. But for the most part, people are, are, are pretty switched on and are sort of acknowledging the fact that it is here. They are, but, you know... We, we all need to look after each other. The, the thing is, when, you, when you're dealing with young people, and particularly young males who, who tend to be, you know, quite risk-engaging, um, um, yeah. it doesn't really compute with them that it's a real issue. Um, we saw a couple of weeks ago that Swan 
couldn't deal with the night series team. They had six or seven out. Um, and it's not complacency. I don't think it's, it's something different to complacency. I think a lot of it is, that you know, typical um, young men behaviour. Um, I'm bulletproof. Nothing's going to affect me. And, um, you know, I'm fit, young and healthy. Why, why do I need to bother about it? But it's not about you. It's about the rest of the people that can't be immunised. So I just think it's interesting, uh, you know, and I know you, you you play a lot of indoor venues, um, and I suppose that for me, you've got the guys out there playing the game, but it's when they come off that park that they've got to put the masks back on, and sometimes they're a little bit slack in doing that. Yeah, well, and that's, we, uh, like I said, we've just been very strict with, with those things, so we have, with our, our setup at the Super League, uh, the when the players come off the court, they basically come straight outside. Yeah. Um, so there's no hanging around inside at the moment, like where in the past people would obviously uh, chill out inside a lot more often. Um, the easiest thing to do is get people outside and, and have team talks and whatever else and then deal with if people are going back in, well, yeah, now your mask goes on and, yeah, go have your shower and do everything else you need to, but make sure that mask stays on while you're around everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think we're we're getting getting the message. It's just a bit slow going through, and I think you know, uh, other than health advice, we we don't have anything else in the background to to help guide us. And I think coming into a, and I'll talk to to John and and Richie about it. But going into the NPL season and the state league seasons, we don't really seem to have any rules around what happens to a team that has two, three, four close contacts. Um, no, yeah, and and that has been actually one of the. One of the slightly confusing things is now whether or not people are close contacts or not and what that means because I've had, I've had people who have called me and said, look, I was hanging out with my friend and they are now have been told they're a close contact. I haven't been informed that I'm a close contact yet because they haven't tested yes. positive yet. Should and, I come? And that's the, like, that's, that's the issue that's the issue that's happened. That that's exactly what's happened to other clubs. And yeah. then we have some people who have been directed to take their seven days um, and they're waiting for the result of the test and they think, oh, well, I'll just go to training anyway. And, and whether you're a coach or a player, that's just irresponsible. So, you know, we've just got to look after each other. I'm switching tack slightly. we just go to the uh, the MPLW night series, which kicked off last night. Um, obviously, your your team being playing for the last time or the, the last competition as Perth Redbacks um, so um, how was that? Yeah the, the the girls were terrific they they played very well like um, Carlos the coach would have been quite happy with with the first hit out Balcat is a, a good side they've had yep. a couple of players move from the club in the off season but there's been they, a fair bit be of movement in the off season hasn't there though I mean the, all the, the teams seem to have I know it's a it's just one pull, but there seems to be a fair bit of movement last season. Yeah, well, and I think the the way the MPL is set up and, and with making things more professional, it's holding people to account. So the the clubs that haven't done the right things with setting up juniors and, and making sure that their seniors are looked after and, and have good training facilities, have good coaching, have all of the best of whatever is available are going to struggle because the, the players won't put up with it anymore. Everyone knows that there are now players getting paid to play and everyone knows that there are clubs who are engaging with sports trainers and physios and 
athletic trainers to, to increase the... Look, I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing that we're becoming more professional. We've resisted it for far too long. And I think, you know, admit, yes, we are paying players. Yes, I've got them on a professional contract because I am paying them. And then because of that, I'm now looking after my, my club's asset. And we've got sports trainers. We've got um, sports psychologists. We've got other people working with them, you know, dietitians, what have you. There's a whole range of things that when you start to become professionalised, is, is a beneficial mindset because you, you start to look after people rather than just going, oh, well, I'll just sign another one. If that one gets broke, uh, yeah. I'm not worried, yeah. And that's exactly it, is I think once the sort of merry-go-round happens in the first maybe three seasons, people, every, everything will settle down. And I still think it's a big reason why there should be a, um, a player point system as well to encourage clubs to be responsible for developing their players and, not just poaching from wherever they can all the time. Because if, if they have to do that, then their point system is going to go up and they're not yeah. going to have access to... Having, having said that, though, we've only really had... Um a small, small smattering of clubs that actually have invested in developing young women. Obviously, you're involved in one of them. Um, and I suppose whilst you've got something that's churning out some really top-quality players, um, those that aren't quite making it, it's good that they do get an opportunity elsewhere because, you know, um, some people do develop late and some people just need another opportunity to, to prove themselves. So whilst I agree that the point system is good in that regard, I think, you know, as long as you've got some, some movement for those younger ones who don't quite get into your first team or your resis have the ability to move and, and get exposure somewhere else. Oh yeah, certainly. Well, and that's I was uh, on the women's standing committee when the MPLW paperwork and everything was being drawn up, and we did up a player point system, uh, a draft one, which would take exactly those things into account. Yeah, we did. We, we we looked at what was used in Queensland, New South Wales, and even the men's one here, and sort of adjusted it based on the fact that it's women's football and we're in WA, and we want to make sure that, like you say, there there can be movement of players who are not quite ready to be in the first team at one club but could make a first team better in a, at another club because that's exactly what we want. It makes the, the league stronger. But what you don't want is five or six players from a first team disappearing to another club every single off-season. Oh, no, absolutely not. Because if there's three or four of those sort of situations happening then it's like we're back in the old Women's Premier League where it was ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And no one wants one or two clubs dominating. It's nice to have other clubs coming through. It's nice to see um, clubs like Perth taking the, the women's game seriously, but also um, you've now got um, Gwellup, um, Curtin. There's, there's lots of teams that have, have been around for a while, but they're really starting now to invest in the, in the women's game. Yeah, and that's the, the more investment that we get, the better off. Yep. More female players are going to be. Exactly and, any thoughts on professionalising the local game, Vince? Uh, yeah, look, I think all the points you've made about the positives of that are, are absolutely spot on and well made. Uh, you know, the other the other side of the fence is that you do need to hope that some of these clubs have the right management structure in place because that's also when there's a bit more money involved uh, and it's misused or 
you know, put all into one basket and things go wrong. Yeah. So, of course, you know, you've, you've challenges for all the clubs, but it's great to hear the, the, positive, the positivity around uh, the league at the moment and, of course, the big carrot, 2023 World Cup. Yeah. Um, this is a great time for clubs to really be focusing on women's football. But I think professionalisation is also professionalisation of the, the management structure. You, you know, um, years ago when, when I was playing, it was, generally speak, speaking, one well-heeled benefactor who was using his family inheritance to sponsor the club. Uh, and now we're, we're seeing a, a, a much more business-orientated approach. Um, even, you know, the, the current crop of presidents in the NPL, um, generally speaking, they're businessmen. And they're running it like a business, which is how it should be. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And obviously, yeah, bringing the community along with them, not relying on, as you say, one benefactor, because, of course, one single benefactor can have influence probably in the wrong area sometimes. <laughs> and that, that's where it can go a little bit wrong. So. Yeah, but no, I, I mean, and I, I, I'm really grateful that people have invested their, their own personal funds into it. But I think, you know, the whole point of professionalisation is you end up with a sustainable business model that doesn't die when your sponsor or benefactor does. Um, I remember years and years ago, um, Swan had a club president who was killed in a road accident and all of a sudden, you know, everything that he was doing for the club just disappeared with him. And it, that's what happens, I suppose. It's it's nice to have a, a, a continuum and a business plan where you can then replace the bodies within it. And, you know, I suppose the the other thing is if you've got professionalised players, coach movement is, is oft, often the biggest catalyst for an exodus. You know, I think we lost an entire team at Ashfield when the coach went to Balcatra and took all but two players with him. Uh, and that sort of thing is, is devastating for a club. Absolutely. Well, and, and, that, and that, that is another one of the big, the big factors behind things like a player point system and then also, like you say, making the, the game and the league more professional. There are different, uh, I guess, structures that the club looks at in terms of how to be, like rather than just have a committee of parents, you're then talking, like you said, about having people who have business acumen and, and people who are, are more media and tech savvy looking after those parts of the club rather than just, Tom's mum putting on absolutely look, and, and the thing is, if, if you've got a media student either in your club or someone who's even outside of your club who, for a small fee, is able to run your media stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm not up on all the platforms and TikTok and all that sort of stuff, it, you know. After Facebook, that's it. I'm done. But these these people are connected to all of those mediums, and and the club can then have a platform on all of those mediums, which again is is growing the game. Well, and, and that's the, the more the more exposure we get, the better. I, I, I still think one of our biggest problems with football and futsal in uh, in Australia is our ability and our want to sell ourselves. Yeah, and and tell tell people about ourselves and and fight with government and with other sports to get ourselves money. Oh, look, we, don't don't get like don't get me started on that. We got we've got to use our power. There's a lot of people who carrying a vote who like football, and we just don't use the political nous properly. Um, whilst yeah. I've got you on, um, obviously. Mum and Redbacks, the the night series favourites, you reckon? Or is there someone in the oh. background like Perth or Fremantle who's starting to improve? Yeah, I think I think Perth Perth and Frio will be very good from the... They're, they're playing tonight. They're in the Saturday night group. Um, I think Balcata will probably be... Uh, despite losing to, to Redbacks last night, I think they will still think they're in contention to make the finals. Yeah. Um, and, we'll, and we'll just have to beat Mum and, and Subiaco. 
but I think I think Perth are probably the close to the favourite. Them and them and us. And how much how much impact does the return of the the Glory um, A League W players make? Obviously, well, it... there's always a, a big difference between the the teams that play in the semi final and the final of night series, and the teams that start the the uh, first, second, third, or fourth round games in the NBL. Just depends on when they finish and when they they get back. Look, but if they do, it does make a huge difference. If they do the right thing in the next two weeks, it may well be that they won't be in the night series finals because they'll be too busy playing in the the, the national finals. Exactly, and that's exactly what we want. We want them playing in the A-League W finals and yep. get them back in, in round one or whenever we do for the NPL. Now, um, Vince has already touched on it, but the Women's World Cup 2023 is it's closing in on us. Two venues were um, announced during the week as being the World Cup training venues. Um, Dorian Gardens, I think everybody would agree, um, was the standout and, and should be one of those venues. The other one is the um, State Football Centre, which I think they've only just broken ground on. Yeah, I think that was a... Well, I mean, it, it's a clear and obvious choice if everything goes to plan and the the fields are set up and everything is, is ready to go. Hopefully, that will be the case. So, I, like you said, Dorian Gardens is a, a relative no-brainer. But there's other clubs around who I think would probably jump at the opportunity to host some training as well. Oh, they certainly have. I think Forestfield certainly put that. Forestfield certainly put their hand up, um, and you know, Crazy Domain Stadium, not a bad little centre to, to base yourself in and around. But um, you know, I think once the the buildings go up, it should should be a very good centre. And I think with uh, all weather pitches, if you've if you've got everything on order and it's all sitting there in the warehouse, you can you can probably go from from just dead grass to um, an all-weather pitch in, in under a week. So, Yeah, I, I think that was uh, one of the pleasing things in some ways because obviously with the announcement of the State Football Centre and the delays in building all around WA and probably Australia at the moment, you've always had that concern from the start. But knowing that it's now been named, as it should have been, yeah. kind of brings, I think, a bit more weight from the state government and others oh, yeah. to make this done. And I think yeah. that probably is the best thing that could have happened, that announcement now. They've got no choice but to get this thing done by hook yeah. by crook in time. And, and the good so thing is, we, <laughs> when you look within the football community, we, we've got plenty of, of people who are grano workers um, in the tilt lift business. Um, you know, all, all the trades are all there. So, I mean, within the football community, we should have the wherewithal to make it happen within the, the time frame. If you get a few trips to Bunnings a couple of weeks before, do you think, by the support? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, yeah and, and it, it makes it real as well. Look, they've been announced. Congratulations, obviously, to Perth for, yeah. for being selected. And, it, you know, they are going to announce a few more venues for, for training kind of uh, spots as well. So that's, that's great for some of the other clubs. And I'm sure all the clubs involved are going to get a lot of benefits out of it. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that announcement, as I said, makes it 2023. It's not too far away, and as we get closer, I think the real buzz is going to be around uh, football and women's football particularly. I think it just augurs well for the game. Absolutely, it does. All right, Greg, thank you very much for being on. Uh, as always, a pleasure, mate, and we'll catch up with you in the near future. Yeah, my pleasure, James. You have a good weekend. You too, buddy. See ya. Cheers, bye. Okay, that was Greg Farrell from Futsal WA um, and also very much involved with the Redbacks as they're going to be known after the night series, the Perth Red Stars. So, um, no, good on him. He's a good lad.
to, to have on board uh, and very knowledgeable yeah involved in a lot of different areas in in football which which is great and uh look i mean futsal tom rogic is the best the best known example i guess in australia of someone who grew up with futsal and you can see that in the way he plays as you're talking about the ability for him to create space when he's got two or three people around him is and, and shift his body weight is just amazing so there's no doubt that for a lot of players having a base in futsal can can be very positive uh there is sounds like greg pointed out there's a bit of friction now perhaps between some of the uh, <laughs> the outdoor football coaches and and the futsal but most countries around the world uh, do have a pretty good uh, futsal system for a lot of the players. Oh, look, you know. when, when you go to Europe and places like Spain where they're full-time professionals and just as well known as um, a national um, soccer star is known anyway, you know, they're known in, in Spain, they know them just as well as they do any of the, the Spanish national team. Yeah, and, and look, I... You know, I didn't have a chance to ask Greg, but I know that the, the national championships of, for futsal has been cancelled the last couple of years, I think. So mm. it'll be interesting to see where WA is at because I know we were behind some of the other states who'd had futsal more ingrained for a long time. But in the last few years, I mean, as Greg said, the numbers keep going up. You'd like to think WA is actually, you know, on, on a level with a lot of the bigger states perhaps over In the conversations I've had with him, yeah. Mm. I mean, we're, we're similar as we are with the on-field football just because of the pure numbers in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland. Um, we don't have the, the bulk of the, the player groups that they have, but we hold our own. And, you know, whilst we may not be um, powerhouses, we are certainly competitive. And it's, it's a, as the, more, the more and more kids hear about it and play, whether it's the off-season or just on a, on a Saturday with their mates, uh, the, more, the more players will get involved and get to that national championship level and you never know. Exactly. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after that with John O'Reilly from Armadale. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Miranda Templeman. The world is a little different to us all right now. We may be learning to play football with our mates online, keep in touch through FaceTime and watch classic matches on Share TV. One thing that won't change is being able to listen to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. Your World Football team are in the studio every Saturday from 10am to 12pm. We appreciate your support. Stay safe, Australia. We're all in this together. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. All right, that's us back again. Um, the MPL night series rounds up tonight and one of the teams taking place will be coached by our next guest who is John O'Reilly from Armadale. John, John, good morning, how are you? Good morning, how's things? Good, mate. Um, last round of the MPL, w, oh, sorry, the MPL night series... Um, You've got one le- one game against your local rivals, Coburn. Um, nothing to play for, but everything to play for at the same time. Oh, we've uh, we've got a couple of lads that have just um, returned. So for us, and like, we've actually treated most of our pre-season. It's like we've got a, a lot of questions that we have to ask ourselves. And 
by giving these lads opportunities in these in these somewhat competitive games, we get the answers. So we've got a couple of lads that say come back. Um, they've been away for a little while um, over in Spain, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, so we've got two lads back tonight, which will get a run out, and we'll be able to find out where they're at at the moment. And, um, yeah, hopefully give a, a few debuts out tonight as well. Yeah, look, it's it's all part of an ongoing project. Um, it was quite interesting. I thought you'd, you'd been at the, the uh, Armadale for a little while, so I had a quick look last night. Six years, or this is your sixth season at Armadale. It's amazing how quickly time flies. Time does fly. <laughs> it surprises myself when I realise how long I've actually been there. Yeah, actually, so, uh, and it also makes you the, the longest-serving um, coach at Armadale. Yeah, yeah, something I'm pretty proud of. And, um, you know, I'd like to... When I went to Armadale, you know, it, it, I didn't know too much about them. And then over the years, I've obviously grown to know a lot more about them, their history and who they are, the people down there. So, um, yeah, to, to go down in the record books as longest-serving coach to date, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty happy, pretty proud of that moment as well. And it coincides with our 50th anniversary this year as well. So we've been uh, been in existence for 50 years since 1972, and um, yeah, this is our 18th season in the MPL straight as well. Yeah, nice, nice little touch on the emblem there with all the the gold emblem, um, as opposed to your, your your traditional red and white. Yeah, we thought we'd put something out there. You know, like we're not going to be advertising and shouting about it all the time, but at the same time, we do want to. We do want it to be recognised because it's it's a milestone. Mm. Uh, it's an important milestone for a club, uh, and you know we've we've done very well to grow from two little small clubs in in the southern corridor uh, into one big club with over 500 members over the space of this time, uh, picking up a few trophies and wins along the way as well. So. You know, we look forward to the next 50 years, hopefully. I remember talking to you when you first took on the gig and, you know, um, Armadale had a, a history and, and the kind of vibe was, oh, look, we, we're in the bottom two, three every year, that's where we'll be. And there was kind of like a complacency. Since you've come on board, um, long, long-term project, you said, was to, to lift the profile of Armadale. You, I think you finished sixth and seventh in the last two years. Um, you know... It, you're certainly making Armadale one of those clubs that, you know, whilst you're not a Perth, you're certainly a club that can, on your day, beat anyone. Yeah, look, I think as you just touched there in the last last five, six years, um, on top of the sixth and seventh place finishes, we've also had two semi-finals. We've had a cup final and a win, and uh, we've also been to around the 32 in the FFA Cup. You know, there's, there's probably about six clubs in the in the MPL or even in the in the state leagues, I would love to have that over the last six seven years. You know, so I think the club's done all the club, the team has done really well over the years. Um, our twenties and eighteens have also had some successes, playing in cup finals and getting semi finals as well. But it's not just the first team. Uh, mm. I think all three of the teams have, have have improved or have have ambition to improve over the last five six years, um, and also in that time, the uh, the juniors. Now, the juniors set out on a program about five years ago, roughly around the time that I started, and um, that's starting to come through. We've got one more year now um, before we see our um, MPL and development teams coming through. So um, after this year's 16s, we'll start seeing a procession of players that have been at the club for like multiple years, like five, six years, 
during the junior ranks coming through and hopefully pushing into the 18s, pushing into the 20s and then first team. So, so look, it's not just the, the first team. Sometimes we get blinded by that. I think the club in the in whole have, have moved forward. And, it, yeah, it's pretty exciting times at the moment. That's, as you mentioned, John, getting young players through from the beginning is, is a huge uh, boost for the club. And have, is there a couple of players you've already got your eye on from the, the junior levels, particularly that you think, well, this is proof that our, our structure within that juniors is good enough to produce uh, state league level players? Yeah, like we've got um, Jim Dean running the, uh, the juniors now as the TD. Um, he's just been on board full-time since Christmas. I uh, received my first report from him. They're all doing testing down there. What, what he's bringing to the table this year uh, is, is basically a continuation from our last TD, Eddie Carrido, who did a great job as well. But um, what, what um, Jim's bringing through now is, is um, talent identification. Uh, and so now we're starting to get reports or we'll be getting further reports on players that are, that are standing out. Uh, and we've already had one of the under-17 or one of the under-18s from the Metro's team that's, that's shown some promise. He was actually up training with the first team last week or this week just gone. So we're already looking at pushing people forward and advancing them. So, yeah, yeah, to answer your question, there's definitely some players on the horizon uh, and they're, they're known to the club and uh, we're working to, to keep them involved at uh, as high as level as possible. That's fantastic. And, and in terms of the season, you've mentioned already that you've, you've really found stability over the last years in terms of performance uh, and, and finishing on the ladder. What, how do you set about setting goals for the team at the start of this year, for example? Do you sit them down and, and talk about, you know, we need to try and win this many games or we're aiming to finish at this point? Are, are you at that kind of goal setting or do you, do you keep it more broad for them given it's not a club that necessarily is going to finish top two? Um, just two, two points there you've, you've raised. One is with regard to like the, um, you know the, the stability in the winning. Um, that's not necessarily the case. I think what, what what we've done over the last couple of years and what is now sort of like part of the makeup of the players we look for or bring through is the stability in the commitment, stability in the effort and the hard work, uh, the hard work that they put in. So you know there's going to be bad days where we get thumped. Like that unfortunately happened to us last week against. Um, Sorrento, where we just it just didn't work for us. But what you've seen over the years with the hard hard work and the effort is we've managed to get wins in games that we weren't expecting them, and we're now starting to take scalps. Not only we're we taking scalps, but it's becoming less kind of like an event to take a scalp. It's kind of like expected. So that's what we've changed. It's 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 the mindset of who we are and what we're trying to achieve. And then to go on to, your, to what you were saying there about you know setting goals. I think we, we need to be realistic because to start the season and go, in 22 games' time, I want to be in this position, <clears throat> it's too far. It's too far and it sets you up for failure. I think the mindset that we look for is, first of all, we look at the first six games. We want to have points on the board and make sure that we're, we're sitting in a, in a position where we're still focusing on our upward movement and not worrying about what's happening below. Uh, mid-season, we want to be in a position where we're in touch and distance to the top four so we can look at back on the 11 teams we've played and then set in place a plan of where we can pick up points to challenge for that fourth spot. And then, I guess, in that last six weeks, it's, it's, it's hoping that we're in a position to be competing all the way till the final weeks. Uh, and I guess the ultimate goal is then to, to see ourselves in a final series. But you've got, you've got to take each one of those sections as it comes because you have to reassess and set new challenges and also work out new plans achieve what you want to achieve 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, um, is have you had much changeover from last season? Um, you, have you retained a lot of players or have, have players moved on? Um, yes, a few players moved on. Uh, once again, the MPL uh, big boys get to uh, get to uh, appreciate the Armadale factory of uh, finding people in the lower divisions, polishing them up and making them ready for the big teams. So uh, we've lost a couple of players, Inglewood and a few others, yeah. who have come in and, and, and handpicked a couple of players from us, um, which all the best to them. Hopefully they have a good season. Um, but to say that, we've also managed to find a few more diamonds in the rough and we're uh, in the polishing process as we speak. Mm. So uh, come mid-season, you'll see a, a few new faces, a few new names they'll be catching the eye. Yeah, look, and I hear this quite often about the, the changeover of players, but if you, if you were to bring the, the key players in on professional contracts, you can um, sign them up for a couple of seasons and at least protect that investment that you had in their development and, and as you said, the amount of polish you've put on them um, to at least, A, keep them for another year or if you're going to lose them, negotiate some kind of return for the club in that process. Yeah, look, as soon as Football West um, take responsibility for that process um, to actually have the uh, professional contracts in place uh, and all three of the professional leagues are following the exact same rules. Once that happens, then you're correct. Once that's happening, then all 36 teams will have their players locked in on one-year and two-year contracts, which they'll all have to abide to, and then it'll be a perfect environment for us to... uh, continue growing WA soccer yeah it's an interesting um, vibe on that because uh, obviously you've got the national football uh, registration guidelines whatever they're called these days um, which is always and since I was playing um, I think it's been 110 if you're getting paid more than that you should be on a professional paper and that's national um, as for the the, the body um, I don't know if Football West have much control over that. Um, they do get told quite often that uh, a player's playing for the love of the club. So it, yeah. it just yeah. depends on uh, on people's uh, desire to, to, to fulfil or to meet the rules. And, and then you've got to ask if you're prepared to, to breach that rule, then, you know, we're also then okay with people playing people under a different name or, you know, bugging the ref or whatever you like to put in place. Is that we can't just select what rules we play by. I think the whole professional thing, the whole semi-pro thing, the whole amateur thing, it's a painful conversation, to be honest. Yeah. Because, no, who's responsible, mate? Is it the ATOs responsible? Are Football West responsible? Are the clubs responsible? Is oh, no, the, the, F- the, F- are the FA are responsible. Who's responsible, mate? Yeah. And that's what I said. Until somebody mm. takes control of the game that we play in its entirety... Yep. Uh, therefore, making rules, policing the rules, and enforcing that on all of the professional clubs. Yep. But until that day, there's always going to be grey areas and either misunderstandings or disagreements to how things are run. But once it becomes very black and white for everyone that's involved, mm. I think that'll be a, a great day for the sport.
Oh, look, and I think for, for clubs that are developing youth, and obviously now with, you know, you've got your, your TD in place and you're hoping to have a, a little football factory down there in, in um, Armadale, it would be nice to see the club getting something back for that investment that they put into the game. If you develop uh, another Trent Sainsbury, for example, it would be nice to think that the, the club, because they've put him on a professional paper, is recognised, and then if he moves to, to Perth or to Morwell Falcons or to Tottenham, that the club will get recompensed in some way. Well, you see, with the idea of that where players and clubs, you know, players go on to bigger and better things and clubs get the compensation for, for providing their platform to go on to the bigger and better things, that all benefits Football West, it all benefits the FFA, the whole national game. So where I think that we're just falling down in the States, uh, across the country, is, and I'm not sure about it, so I, I won't talk for the Eastern States, but... For us, I just don't think there's enough education from the people that will actually be benefiting from the um, rise of numbers of players that enter the A-League, that enter European clubs, that then return money back into the sport. So when we talk about professional contracts and players' pathways into a professional career, where's the seminars, where's the paperwork, where's the manuals to educate? Where's the education? Yeah, for for the player and and in sometimes the parent. I I know personally of a a young fifteen year old who's had his head turned by a um, an agent who has had the the parents have paid him a fee. He's now got the the player's passport and he's trying. Or has had the player in the UK at fifteen trying to get into clubs and he's organised some trials for him and now that's starting to go a bit awry. He's all of a sudden departed. He's left a 15-year-old in England on his own. And, and the, the guy's granddad is going, now going to fly out to give him a responsible... Ad, well, not necessarily bring him home um, because he's still got some trials at some other clubs. Um, this, this lad is, is someone who's been through the system here who is probably good enough, but his head's been turned by an unscrupulous agent who's then taken him over there with promises of him being the next Harry Kill and just left him in the lurch when things got hard because it's tough over there in the UK. Yeah, yeah, well, well, two things there is, yes, when you're in a country where it's not governed, that sort of sort of um, job title of agent, mm. uh, and it's just somebody saying, hi, I'm an agent, and unfortunately, yes, there's going to be uh, probably many occasions where people pay X amount of dollars or or believe in words that they're told. Um, yeah, but they'll have their heads turned and told that we're, you know, I, I see it happen before. We've, we've had... Um, We've had people here who've set up their their own schools uh, and academies outside of the the game itself, who've then at the end of the year said, "Look, we're 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 all taking off to England. We're going to have a, a set of games against you know these these clubs." Um, and everybody who signs up to that is paying a fee to go to the UK to play against the academies of other teams in the UK, thinking that this is a professional pathway, and it's not. It's it's a money making yeah. exercise by that agency, I, um, yeah, by individuals or a yeah. group of people. And again, it, it it comes back down to the governing. Once once there's recognition for the the, the the tiers above ours, that there could be a knock on effect in terms of a financial reward. Mm. If there is actually a, a a process that a person needs to go through to acquire a license to call himself an academy, because the word academy is 
it's handed out like candy. Oh, look, I, I could strike one up tomorrow so, if I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, exactly. So what I'm saying is that we, again, it's the governing, it's the understanding of the tiers of football. Yeah. For us to go the next level, we need to have that that plan in place for the entirety of the, the, the country. When we mm. look at, like, you know, look at the Dutch leagues, for example, in terms of you've got the Ajax Academy, you've got all the sort of pro league academies, yeah. and they're, they're all legit, they're all honest, they've all got contracts in place, and we see it time and time again where, you know, players come through the system into the first team and then on to... You know, a Premier yeah. League or a La Liga club. Now, cetera, now Vin, Vince had a point. And you we just to don't make. have that here. We don't yeah. have that pathway here. No, or we don't have a legalised or a. Uh, Look, since a since the since the department departure of Rob Sherman, we haven't even really had a, an active TD. So, I mean, uh, since the NPL was introduced, um, it, we've just been at a point of failure ever since, and it's just kind of going out to to grass at the moment because no one's really taking any control of it and I don't see an awful lot happening from the top down we brought in the Belgian model the the, the Dutch model what about just coming up with a good old Aussie one like we you know the producer likes of Stan Lazaridis and who have you and the golden generation anyway Vince had a point to make uh, look, I know it's just, I mean, the, the issues of particularly young players uh, being promised the world and, and parents and so on, I mean, it, it has been around forever and for every successful story, it just takes one successful story for, for another 20 or 30 to believe that's going to happen to them. It, it's tricky. I, I would say for any parents who are listening out there who maybe are going to be in that position or currently are, that the, the PFA, the Professional Football Association, is a sounding board. They're, they're obviously neutral. They're not involved mm. in sending players over, but they would be always willing to um, to just give some advice, impartial advice out about these are the pitfalls or these are things you need to consider before you accept and sign. Unfortunately, of course, you know, agents or so-called agents will we'll try and get people to sign straight away and they'll talk the talk and it's very hard to resist that, that temptation. But for anyone in that position, feel free to Google PFR. I think Cameron Watson's the Perth rep at the moment. They don't have a big profile here and that's partly to do with the fact we've only got the one professional club in terms of that, that A-league level, but they are always willing to listen uh, and and provide some advice so you can google them find a phone number and i know that uh they very much would be coming from the player's interest at heart yeah absolutely uh, yeah. so that's that's a yeah. good sounding board if anyone's not sure or they've been they've got this this very tempting sounding offer um have a talk to the pfa see see what they think because you're going to get at least a bit of impartial advice there. yeah john just say look, that, um, i've 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 had dealings with the pfa and i've got only good things to say about them and every time I've contacted them with um, inquiries uh, for things I'm not sure about um, they've always got back to me they've always ended up giving me sound advice sound of information so yeah I totally back up what you said mate if any youngster if anyone's sort of like curious about where they go with their with their professional career or a professional career in soccer then they're definitely worth uh, worth sounding out and having a chat with and, and I think the other the other thing that I'll often say to people when they ask is that you, you do have examples of Harry Kules at 15 going over there and, and making it big, but you've also got your Brett Emmertons who spent two or three seasons, you know, in the old NSL mm. and the A-League playing, and then when they got to the UK, I think he might have gone to the Netherlands first, they hit the ground running because they'd been playing against mm. men. And yeah. there's a lot to be said about having a couple of seasons at least playing against men when you're 17, 18. It really puts you yeah. in good stead because the churn rate for a young 16, 17-year-old who, who's played youth football at a good level and they go over to the UK or another European league, it, it's, it's 
really, really tough. Oh, it's very really tough. Really tough. Now, talking about Harry Kill. Vince, I, just I, to add to that, sorry, hang on. Yeah. Just to add to what you were saying again there, Vince, when you say 17-year-olds playing against adults, how good would it be if we had an under-23s league in WA? Yeah. That's then right. all of a sudden you do have adult, uh, young men playing against adults, young adults. Yeah, you look, at the moment, I've got, we've got two junior leagues going straight into a, t- a top-tier senior league. I don't disagree so there, Johnny. That's a change as well, mate. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, Harry, a young Harry Kill trialling out for Leeds, was there someone else in this room trialling out for Leeds at the same time? Correct. I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try and pretend that I was, you know, Harry's best mate. No, I, I do remember I was at, at Leeds <laughs> at the time and... Um, I was a little bit older than Harry, and I was training with the, the first team reserves. And uh, they talked about this young Aussie guy turning up for the for the academy. And I looked over, and it was young young Harry Kill. I, I hadn't heard him, obviously. And I thought, oh, they, they said, oh, he looks all right. Yeah, he seems all right. Anyway, I left obviously a month later, and Harry turned out to be one of the best players they'd had. But uh, I do I do think Harry at some point mentioned that there was some Aussie guy at Leeds when he arrived. Yeah, yeah he has no <laughs> idea who that was. But, yeah, that, that was me, Harry. If you're looking for me, uh, sliding doors moments. Okay, look, Johnny, thank you very much for being on. Um, look, Armadale, I think you know since you're, you've been in there, certainly taken very very seriously. Um, you've done marvelous. Uh, with the club and hopefully that continues and you know you've got an FFA Cup coming up you could probably get yourself into the last 32 again at least I'll give it our best crack mate that's for sure absolutely thank you very much for your time good luck with the season John alright cheers guys all the best see you later John, yeah, ambush him a bit at the end there about the professionalism, but yeah, look, it's something I believe in, um, and I think you know uh, when we see some of these kids, and as I said from personal experience, young lad now stranded in the UK. Granddad flew out last night um, on a rescue mission, but he's still hell bent on becoming a professional. And I spoke with Dino Gilbich a while back, um, and he he had his struggles, but he made it, you know. And I think you can have you can have all the attributes to be a good player. But that's only 1% of what you need. And the other 1% is that desire and the, the ability to crawl through broken glass to get to your, your destination. Because, yeah, the, the 99% of players you're competing with for that one spot will do that. They often yeah. come from, from backgrounds where, you know, there's not much else they've got going for them or their family. This is it for them. You look at some of the other countries. and Oh, look, if you go to the South American system mm. where the family of a kid who goes in at eight are housed by the club and then that kid at 14 is reassessed and if he doesn't make it, the, the whole family are jobless and homeless. I mean, the... the you don't understand what pressure is until you get to that point. Sure. And I think it takes the, the young Aussie boys by shock a little bit. I think, yeah, it does. Yeah. All righty, we're going to go a break and we'll be back with Richie Abrams from Forestfield. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport to all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's, or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest-growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA 
on 0432 745 140 via email at info at or via our website Oswest Fencing and Royal Tyne is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Tyne. Call us on 9258 6822. Station sponsor. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Oh, keep the conversation going now with Richie Abrams from Forestfield. Richie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Yourself? Good, mate. Um, last night you were in action in the um, State League um, was it quarterfinals um, up against Western Knights. Um, how did that go? It was a decent game of football, to be honest. It was, yeah. a, it was a proper cup game. Um, didn't go our way in the end, but for, for 90 minutes, it was a pretty even contest. So well, it, was, uh, it was good for us. When you look at the two sides, you know, Forestfield, Western Knights, you know you're going to get a good game. You know, you, you're going to have to, to be on your, your best to, to win that. And it really comes down to those those one percenters in, in those sorts of games. And, and you walk off either side, if they got beat, go, yeah, they wanted it more than we did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it was uh, it was just one of those games where it had everything as far as the weather changing as well, which was good. Yeah, really spiced it up a little bit. It was a late game as well, half past eight kickoff. Yeah. Um. So, and we had a lot of lads that's their first time playing a night series quarterfinal. Yeah, and, and, and had a couple of lads. It was their first night series game, full stop. So it was a, a really good uh, outcome for us. And, and no matter what happened, the Abrams family walked off winners anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, one's got a smile on his face today, not me. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a few bruises around the ankles, but uh, <laughs> no, it was it was it was it was really good, and it was good to see for WA football. It was good to see a pack stand. Yeah, it was good to good to have a bit of music before it kicked off, and and that's what it's all about. I know. It's, look, they do a wonderful really job there at Forestfield with with the whole venue, the investment that was made a few years ago in the stand, and you know, just yeah. the, the club culture is is certainly headed in the right direction. Now, for me, um, I think one of the toughest things that you can do in anything is, is follow a club legend. We've seen all the issues that's happened at um, Man United with you know someone having to fill Fergie's boots. Um, you've walked into Forest Field, and you know the the shadow of Normo um, still there, but you you've really etched your own um, brand on the club very, very early. You've, you've had a, a, a complete clean-out of players. You've, you've brought in some really talented youth and you've, you've really stamped Richie Abrams on the playing culture. Look, I think it's a, a couple of things, to be fair. I think there's certainly a little bit uh, or a fair bit about what Rod brought to the table as well at Forestville. Yep. Um, and also coupled that with, with Normo as well. Uh, and some of the things, and also some of the players that have played with Normo that are still with us now and what they bring to the table. And obviously what myself and Malcolm have brought in as well. So that's probably a three-way combination that we're just trying to get right at the moment. Um, and as I say, you know, following, following Rod and Normo, it's not, not easy, but we want to grab the things that they've done so well and bring them with us. And that's what we're trying to do. That's our, that's our goal. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you, you have brought in some some talented youth. Yeah, we have. Look, we've, we've brought in some good some good players. I mean, there's some good players at the club already. Um, when you've got someone like Josh Pereira, who's you know training to get fit, you know he's a fantastic player that the kids look up to. So it's a matter of getting the right kids to be around a player like him. The same goes for Reese Lock, Loxley, Daryl Patton, uh, Mitch Crocker, and obviously uh, Luke Martino in goal. So we've got those existing experienced players, and if we can get the right kids that I believe we've got with them, then we're just going to improve, and they're just going to they're just going to get better and better, and, and that really is the goal. Um, and the experienced players have done a great job of, of helping these kids come through. Oh, look, and I think you, you need to have that, that blend of youth and experience. Um, Reese has been around the club for a, a long time. I think he took a, a brief spell out at Sterling, but you'll forgive him for that. Um, but he is sort of becoming one of those Forestfield club legends. He is. And look, you can, well, last night with the crowd there, every time he touched the ball, it was a, a big cheer and you could hear his name being shouted. So and that's what the, the youngsters have got to aspire to get to that level and, and got to want that as well. Um, but, you know, Reese is uh, junior TD, so he's involved in so many different levels at the club, and he gives us so much in the change room and so much on the pitch. Um, we've just got to make sure we get the right balance around him and, and don't go too young, um, you know, and, and make sure that we're playing a, a brand of football that, that suits him as well. So that's really what we want to do. Yeah, look, it's one of those those dynamics, though. It's very hard. You say don't go too young, but, you know, if you... Yeah. Um, I know we we probably had that in Ashfield last year and the year before. Probably did go too young, but um, yep. you know if you if you you're good enough, you're old enough, and yeah, you got to put up with some of those things that, that the mistakes kids make. But it'd be nice to have had one or two older heads around, and, and people like Reese and, and Josh certainly would would make the difference in in any club. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, our striker last night was sixteen years old playing yeah. his first game of senior football at sixteen. Yeah, I oh, know. Look at so, we, we've we've done the same. We've had sixteen-year-olds playing um, first team for a couple of years now um, and holding their own. But it'd be just nice to have, as you said, someone a little bit older around them just to to settle them down at times because they do very occasionally make a poor choice. And I think the importance this year as well, uh, speaking for ourselves, is filling that squad. You know, yep. we can have up to twenty-three players, and that's what we've we've done. You know, we we don't know what's happening as far as COVID goes down to Crystal Ball. How many are going to lose? We had a few last night. You know, we just don't know how many are, are not going to be available for selection. So Absolutely. That, Look, that larger squad is what we need. And, you know, without a massive budget, then you you have to fill that squad with, with young players that can hopefully come in and do a job. And so we've had an 18-year-old goalkeeper play against Gosnells. Yep. We've had Noah Appleby play in, in nearly every game as 18 years old and 16 striker last night. So, mm. you know, the kids are... And that's one thing I did say when I came to this club was I want to give the kids a go, and, you know, when it's, when it's right. And uh, we, we've done so far. And, and the other thing is, I mean, obviously, Forestfield would have big ambitions, and you know, the I, I think I referred to Division One as a nuclear arms race in some ways. You know, you've you've got Knights, um, Dianella, Fremantle, yourselves. Um, there, there's a whole heap of clubs that are at that top end of the table who um, certainly have the the wherewithal to be in that top three or four teams. Um, and then bringing in those kids, it's a, it's a brave move from a coach, but you also need to, to be bringing them in. Anyone can go out and buy, you know, 15, 30-year-olds, but it's, it's about a progression, and it's for a big setup like Forestfield. Very important that those kids coming through aren't just youngsters. They're youngsters that have come through the system. You want someone in the 15s or 16s looking at someone in the first team at 17 going, that could be me, that could be me next year. 
Yeah, look, and that's that's really what we've put on the table to everybody at the club is that we're going to bring in a few youngsters and look at the youngsters within as well. And we've done that. We've done that in the night series. We bring in these, these kids to come and play with us, which has been which has been great. That we don't have the the massive budget to go and get you know uh, A list players. That's just not on the table for us. So yeah, we've got it's to work quite. With what we got and. It's quite interesting, though, massive budgets. I just had a chat with John O'Reilly about the professionalisation of players, and I think, you know, it's it's not a bad thing that if we're if we're paying a player more than 110 bucks a week to play, that we should put him on professional papers. But particularly when you're looking at 16, 17 year olds, um, the last thing you want is for them to go from your club without recompense. I've got no problem in them going from you to. Um, you know, name MPL or over east, but it'd be nice to think you could get something back. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, put a lot of work in, and uh, you'd like to get a small reward at the end of it. Yeah. Um, oh. And everyone's on the same page with you've got a chance of keeping them, but also they can achieve a few of their football ambitions, you know, with us. Oh, look, uh, I, I think. If big it, clubs come calling, then if we do the right thing and we've done our you know, our homework, we've done our prep, then we should have, if a player leaves, we should have another one to come in behind that we've been working with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you look at it from a from a youth player or a young player's perspective, if at 17 or 18 you're, you're signing professional papers with Forestfield or Dianella or one of the other first division clubs, um, you can at least put on your CV, professional football player, because that's what you are. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's also part of keeping that dream alive. Now, but I think it's a, it's got to get the balance right of how much players are getting paid and how much clubs are making and how it all works and try and get somewhere in the middle that suits all parties. I think that's yeah, but you, you hear the numbers that are going around and the sort of numbers that were going around, you know, ten, twenty yeah. years ago. They're already paying the money, so why not just legitimise it? You know, we we talk about picking and choosing rules um, that we have. Yeah. Um, if you're going, if you're prepared to give up on one rule, then you know all the others are negotiable as well. And then if you if you're not paying a player a professional wage, then you're okay if your opposition plays someone under a different name because his the name he played under last week was suspended. It's still another rule breach, but you know we're we're already breaching some rules, so let's just keep doing it. Um, now you mentioned COVID, and you know you, you, you dodged a bullet a couple of weeks ago. There was Swan obviously had um, a number of, of lads who were close contacts, um, with over a thousand people today COVID affected in this state, and probably by next Friday we'll be up around the fifteen hundred. I think we all know someone who's either been a, a, a close contact or has COVID. Um, how are you doing this at the club? I mean, I I, I reckon. It, there'd be clubs that at least got one, maybe two close contacts. And, and if you don't have a COVID plan for your club, you're, you're planning for failure. Look, you are. Um, there's certain things we can do and certain things we can't do. We've just got to do our, do our best. At Forestfield, what we've done, what Mark Twain has brought in is a, is a policy of having very small numbers in changing rooms. So you see our players turn up and they'll be split into three groups. Group one will get changed, come yeah. out. Group two will go in. You know, um, team talks are done outside in the fresh air rather than being in a confined changing room. Um, masks have to be worn in the changing rooms and players have to shower before they go for, uh, you know, a, a drink afterwards. Mm. So, you know, bringing in those things, it's not going to, it doesn't mean that we're not going to get anything, but it's going to minimise it and it just means that... And, and that's you know, exactly the you, point. You're trying to help yourself. Um, other teams will just go by all bundling in the same small changing room, getting changed and going out, and, and they may get hit harder than us. Who knows? 
but all we can do is you know try and do a little bit more than perhaps what's recommended from a safety point of view and, and keep our fingers crossed and and compliance is a big thing we we're talking earlier with, with vince about it and you know We've got players who've got a mate who's been a close contact. They've spent all day with their mate and they don't think yeah. that they're a close contact. And I think there's some yeah. honesty about that because I know of one club where a player went and had a PCR test because he was a close con- contact and before he got yeah. those results back, he'd gone training. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's again, that's down to the individuals and the clubs to try and do the best they can to, yeah. to police that in, in that way. And But that happens in the workplace, not just at football. Um, so it's, it's just about trying to do the right thing as, as much as we can and hope that we just don't get huge amounts of cases going through every single club and we come to a stop. And oh. that means that you know, we get some cases and we've got to play some of the reserves and so bit. I think um, this this will be a very COVID-affected um, season, more so than the very first one where we, we didn't play for for anything really um, and just played for the sake of playing. This yeah, season no could... Half a season. Yeah, no one wants a half a season. That was just, yeah... It was just not really very good. No, and then, you know, you look at those those top four, it'd be about whoever's got the best COVID mandates will probably be... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you, do you think top, anything other than top four will be a failure for you? Is that the way you're looking at this season? So we, we, we sat down and when we spoke about what we wanted to do and, you know, being part of a, a plan over hopefully a couple of years, like I think it's a couple of years, we looked at between six and eight would be decent for us. You know, without getting too carried away. You know, if we have we we wanted to say six and eight and a good cup run, then of course we draw Dinella in the cup, so that's going to be hard. Um, but look, if we if we finish top four, then great. But this year is all about getting the squad together, getting the boys to um, have a, a slight change of culture, try and gel the thing, um, and just get us on the road. That's what year one's all about. So, you know, if we if we get anywhere near that top four, then great. I think we've got the ability to do it, but. You know, being year one, it can be quite difficult to do that. I mean, we saw Quinns do an absolutely fantastic job last year. If we can copy anything that Quinns have done from last year, then, mm-hmm. you know, um, we'd, we'd like to do that. Yeah, and, and COVID so, obviously being the, the X factor, you you just got to deal with know. how it goes. So, so and I am interested as well, with, in terms of obviously Forest would have an amazing youth set up and always have. Yeah. Uh, do you try to, now that you're there at the club, uh, have the, the TD of the youth area play a certain system or introduce a system for the youngsters that are starting to get in that 15, 16 age group so that they can naturally move into the first team? Or do you kind of let them stay a little bit separate from that? No, we're quite lucky in the fact that Reese Loxley's the junior TD. So, you know, he sees what we do on the training track and he'll bring that through the youth teams. And we're really fortunate to have Daryl Platten coach the 18. Um, and Darren coming, uh, Daryl coming back to fitness with us. You know, he's, he's putting our sessions on with the 18s as well. And as he brings the younger players into the 18s, but they're picking it up. So, you know, we can't be forceful and go in day one and say, you must do this, you must do that. But um, certainly year one is about getting the first in the reserves and the 18s, all singing, you know, off the same hymn sheet and then filtering it through down to the juniors in time. And a few years' um, time, certain yeah. plans to do that. We've started it, but it's, you know, there's still a fair bit to do. Oh, it's, it, it sounds very promising, as you say. Every time you do get a, a younger player step up into that that eighteens uh, reserves first team setup, it, it lifts everyone at the club. I think, doesn't it? Look, it does because everyone seems to know everyone, which is which is awesome. Um, you know, the young goalkeeper Sam Chaplin when he came off after Gosnell's got a huge standing ovation almost from some people in the crowd, and that's great. That's what you want, and the more of that that we can do, the better. And as I say, and also get these experienced players like Josh and Daryl, get them fit, get them playing three o'clock football, um, because they're just they're, they're special lads and they bring a lot to the table. So, 
you know, again, if we can do that with the kids, then we'll hopefully do well. I think so, and it's it's uh, with all as as you know some of these other clubs now all pushing up into that top league. As Sean said, it's going to be a pretty exciting season there, Division One. It's going to be tough. I mean, those teams you mentioned, yeah. I mean, I think we've got most of those teams in the first six games, so <laughs> you'll, you'll know where you sit then after after week six. Well, look, I, I think there, there's some some really good sides there, but but how do you how do you rate them? Who do, who do you think is going to be the team to beat in the league this season? I've, I've watched the night series games and I like Western Knights. I think they look really good. And, uh, you know, they had a couple missing last night, but they, they still look really good. Um, Bionella, they just haven't done anything wrong in, in the games that they've played. And they've got a really good squad. Fremantle, look, haven't had the, the greatest of night series, but they've got a good squad uh, set up. I expect them to be good. And look, I really think Queens will push on from, from last year. You know, they always seem to be the team that are not spoken about. Um, they're well coached by Glenn. They've got some good players, and for me, they've got the best number nine in the state. So, if you if you've got that, then you're going to be you're going to be extremely strong. So. Oh yeah, uh, and then outside of that, you've got June Lup, who um, are strong across the park. They're probably a, an older team, um, but they yeah. they've certainly got some quality within it. Um, You've got UWA, who always have the ability to surprise. Subiaco, again, very well coached. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see what Goran does with them. There's no easy games in, in that division. And I think the only certainty is is sort of relegation with two spots up for relegation and one for promotion. Yes. I mean, look, there's stuff. I think Melville have been fantastic as well. Tux has got them really well all yep. night. They've been, they've been very good. They're not going to be easy to, to beat by anybody. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a number of teams out there. And same with, with Gorans. That should be a good game with those two. And those two make nice series. Yeah, definitely. UWA are tougher. UWA are always good at home. So it's going to be a really interesting, really interesting season. Um, yeah, let's just hope that uh, it doesn't come down to, like you say, who's got the best COVID fan and who hasn't. <laughs> well, you know, with, with uh, Mark Twamley at, at your helm, I think you, you would have a pretty robust COVID plan. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep, he's, uh, we'll, we'll try and get you know half a step ahead um, as much as we can and, and try and do a little bit extra as far yep. as precaution goes. Um, but look, you know, all, all you can do is your best and hope that that, uh, and that allows you to have less players out than, than more. Yeah, and uh, we spoke earlier about the, the professionalisation of players and the professionalisation of the clubs, but also with the professionalisation of the supports for players. I mean, years ago, um, you know, a player was just a player. They, they turned up, did their own thing and went home. Now there's a lot more work in the, the, the sciences, if you like, with, um, you know, sports trainers and, and um some health coaches along the way. Do, do you do much in that in that background stuff, tracking player movement and um, building building on their weaknesses? Yeah, look, we've got uh, Connor Ray doing our strength and conditioning, um, and it's massively key for us. If you look at when we've scored goals, eighty minutes plus, um, and that's not just been nice series; that's been friendlies as well. The work that he puts in and the planning that he puts in to to monitor the players and bring. Um, sort of almost like SAS type sessions for the players sometimes to get a bit carried away. But, you know, <laughs> it's such an important part because you, you did right. It used to be warm up, play a game, go home. Um, and now the, the components that are being offered by the strength and conditioning coaches, which all seem to be young lads, yeah. um, is, is just really good. It's, you know, I've seen a massive change. I had uh, Connor's brother Curtis with me at Perth and Inglewood for a number of years and, uh, and not knowing too much about the sports science side of things, just letting him run that. And, 
you know, the amount of injuries we had was very, very few and always felt that we were running our 90 minutes out week after week. And even again, last night, we ended up with, with 10 men because Jack got took to hospital and I still felt that we had superior fitness to go and win now if the game went for another five minutes. That was my personal thing. Yeah, no. Look, he's, strength and conditioning guys are so important now. He's a good lad, Connor, and, um, you know, he was at uh, my club last year and uh, he's a good backup goalkeeper as well. So, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, look, he trained with us on Tuesday in goal, so, yeah, we're, we're in trouble if he's got to play. They're good, lads. But you're right. I mean, look, it's those sports sciences that make all the difference. If you're not looking after your players, yeah. then yeah, obviously, you know, that, that last 10 minutes is, is, is so uh, important. And I know, um, you know, some sides are a shamrock when I was very much involved at Ashfield. We always saw um, Shamrock as, as being a 120-minute team, not a 90-minute team. And that, yeah. that's really where you want to be, that you're running just as strong at the end of the game as you were at the start, but also yeah. not risking your fitness because, you know, you can pick up an injury. And we've seen what happened with um, with Daniel Sturridge during the week. And I, I don't know what's, what's wrong there, whether it's him or whether they're just not doing the right work. Yes, yeah, a strange one, that. I mean, we, we heard straight away, didn't we, when he arrived, it was issues with the change of the weather and stuff like that. But by now, you'd think that would be be well sorted out. I'm not too sure mm. what's what's going on there. But, you know, we want to see them sort of players playing in the A-League. We want to turn the telly on and see those big names doing doing great things on telly. To, um, to be honest, so. I, I'd much rather see um, a young local lad that has gone through a system such as yours playing for the glory and doing well than bringing in a 35-year-old guy who's had a stellar career in Britain. Um, um, call me stupid, but that's what I, I would... I'd much, much rather see it. That's what I liked about Perth Kangaroos. That's what I liked about the early Perth. We saw all these young guys coming through, like the Wingle boys, you know. I, I, I just... I like to see that development coming through, and I know you can't do it all the time, and we talked about having the older heads around, but, you know, Castro's been at that club. Now you've got... Sturridge at that club they all bring something but you want to see it going through the rest of the club and those I like seeing the Callum Timmons doing so well um, Luke Bodnard had a stellar season last year they're the sorts of things I want to see yeah I mean the, the, some of these um, older pros when they come in when Del Piero come in that was absolutely fantastic we all loved watching Robbie Fowler play so yeah but I remember Brian Dean as well <laughs> and Brian Dean yeah yeah <laughs> definitely there's definitely some merit in getting some of the older boys in that you know that we've we, we've seen and the kids get to watch. But you know, going back to Sturridge, something just doesn't seem right. I don't know what that is, but you know, it's uh, it's been a huge disappointment, and you can't say it's not. No, absolutely not. Um, Richie, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure this isn't the, the last time we'll talk to you this season. All the best with Forestfield, a good club, good people, and uh, be nice to see you up there in in the top four at least. Nice speaking to you. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, mate. See ya. Cheers, bye. Okay, that was Richie Abrams from Forestfield. Doing some good things down there, and I think, you know, hard to step into the shadow of someone like Normo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, as you say, I mean, Forestfield, they've got ambition, certainly, but they've got a lovely ground there, lovely grandstand, really good chips and gravy I'll put a shout-out for as well in the middle of winter. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> You hope they do well because the atmosphere, they, they do bring a good atmosphere with, the, with the, a lot of support from the other levels of the club and come and watch and sit in the grandstand. So I think I think it would be great if they do well this season and there'll be some great games down there. Yeah, look, in, and what you said last night's game was um, was a good game. Unfortunately, they, they came out on 
the wrong side of it. But um, I know Rich, Richie's um, young lad, Reese plays for, for Knight. So at least the family did win in the end. <laughs> All right, we're going to go through some messages and we'll be back after this with Alex Epicus from the Perth Glory. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware, components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 9258-6822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. And joining us now is Alex Epicus from the Perth Glory W side. Um, Alex, I'll start off by saying good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you for having me. No, no, thank you for for being on and doing what you do. Um, last week or the week before, I was talking to Tony, and he announced that um, you'd signed an extension to your contract. So, uh, congratulations! I'm very happy that the club's invested in you because you've certainly done a fantastic job. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the warm words, and also thank the club for for their support last season, this season, and, and going forward into the future. I, something I'm really passionate about. I'm, I'm excited and very happy to get the opportunity to stay on with the club. Yeah, now you, you endured a very, uh, well, an Annus Horribilis last year and you didn't win a, a single game this year. Um, very different, but you haven't won a single game at home for very different reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we played our first match uh, of this current season at home there in Macedonia Park, which now seems almost a, a lifetime away. Yeah, um, and it was it was a fantastic, yeah, experience. We had a, we had a, a really healthy and supportive crowd there behind us. But yeah, since then, unfortunately, we haven't had that opportunity. Uh, an entire season away from home. How do you plan for that? How do you? Yeah, it, the scope of that just seems unbelievable for for anybody. But when we're talking about women footballers, who generally speaking aren't on a full time wage, who would have um, jobs, who would have families, who would have relationships, um, all of that has been completely interrupted, and yet they're still gelling as a group and 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 doing the job. It must be very heartwarming for you. Ah, one hundred percent. You know. The answer is you can't plan for it. Um, we've just got to be 
really agile and flexible with with what we're doing, our scheduling and our expectations throughout the whole season in terms of are we going home, are we not going home, where are the matches going to be played, the schedules are changing, etc. But, yeah, I, I think that the reality is that we've been able to deal with it so well because the players have been so fantastic and understanding um, throughout the whole process and the support staff have really ensured that we can, yeah, make the environment as as uh, positive as it can be, despite the uncertain and difficult times that we sort of have found ourselves ourselves in. But yeah, a lot of credit has to go to the to the the group. They've been they've been really immense and they've been resilient. And if it wasn't for them, you know, it could be a different story. Oh, definitely so. I mean, you look at the men's side. Um, all of those guys are on full time money, and no matter. You know, I, the, the being away from home bit is one part of it, but at least when you're away from your family, you know that they're, they're still being looked after because you're still earning the money. For um, some of these these women that you've got playing for you, they've got jobs, which I don't know what's happened to their jobs, whether they've got good bosses who've held on to them or they've lost their jobs. Um, some of them, I think, are missing out on school. Um, there's so many extra pressures on them and yet as a group they, they've really as you said the resilience is, is fantastic and, and they really seem to have gelled as a, as a group of people Yeah uh, look we've had to send some players home in recent weeks because they're entering you know, year 12 at school and that's obviously a really important academic year for them so we've yeah we've lost a few players um, because of that we've also sent some injured players back home so they can go back to their families and go back to to their work commitments um, and the players that are still here they've been very fortunate to have flexible working arrangements with their bosses and and then we've also got a, a large group of university students and, and they're sort of managing that by distance and look it's we, we've had to really adjust and, and make sure that the schedule that we're putting on is flexible and it's around those work times and around those university times and Look, there's no, there's, there's no doubt about it. We haven't gotten a perfect in every moment, but we, you know, we have some pretty honest discussions about how we can make this work. And and the players and the leadership group have really supported me with that. And where as a result, I think it's um, it's turned out really positive. I'm, I'm interested, and in, of course, we'll talk about the the big game coming up this weekend shortly, Alex. But in in terms of the mindset, if you, if you look at a lot of clubs over the last couple of years, have had to deal with these hubs or being away from home. Not many have got it right. Um, and you kind of have the choice as a coach to, to some coaches go the way of saying like let's siege mentality everything's against us we have to bond together others talk about um, just staying relaxed in the moment and just take whatever happens we just keep focused on our particular thing we don't let it get to us what mindset did you kind of aim for at the start of the start of this period where you knew you were going to be away for so long yeah well I mean the context is objective the context is is that we, we have been away from home. And, and then while we were away, we also got told that period away from home will extend even further. Um, and we've had schedule changes on us which haven't allowed us to, to perform at our best through every game this season. That, that's just objective. So the siege mentality is, is probably there. Um, and that's purely because that's, that's the reality. However, we, we only tap into that and use that as fuel um, when necessary and when when it's not about football and it's about them having time to themselves, it's a very relaxed environment. The players have 
done so well in managing their football and their real world, uh, despite sort of being in each other's faces 24-7 for the last two months. They've, uh, yeah, they've really hit the sweet spot. And, yeah, they, they seem to, yeah, to get on fine and there's, there's, there's no tension, there's no, there's no issues. The players have their coffee, they, they do their mm. social activities and then those that work need to work and when it's training and it's football, it's business. So they, it's, it's such a mature group. I know we've got a really young group, but they are very mature and as I said, we've got a fantastic leadership group and they sort of, yeah, they manage it really well in that day-to-day mm. stuff and I couldn't, I couldn't be more pleased and proud with, with how the whole group sort of responded and the mindsets come, everyone's motivated by different things and yeah. Yeah, I think it's more individual. It's interesting, though. I mean, the, the, obviously, the the time you've been away, the, there's a success story around that in itself. But the the one thing that I'm completely impressed with is um, at the the start of the season in your preseason, um, Lisa Devano had been basically a broken woman, lost the love of the game, and. You know, you've had her back in and training pre-season. She's been part, very big part of what you've been doing over there in that time. And you look at her; it, if she was a car, you'd say you'd wound the clock back because she's, you know, probably playing at the level she was two or three years back, but really looks to be enjoying the game again. And and just nice to see that someone who very publicly just had that moment is moving through and, and it's football is helping that. And I think that a massive um, credit to yourself, the team and the club for, for doing what they've done there. And of course, Lisa herself. Yeah. 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 I, I think you, you nailed that um, in, in every sense. Look, we, there's a lot of, you know, really good success stories that have come out of the season so far and we still hope to write more. Um, we've, we've got two games ahead of us and we want two really strong performances. But on an individual, you know, note for Lisa, it was, it was something that, you know, I just felt was the right thing. You know, Lisa's contributed so much to the game on and off the field. She's had a long, uh, and really, um, decorated career in it. And it just seemed that she, she had one more, one more real crack left in her at least. And, you know, I knew obviously she was from Perth and, I didn't know her too well prior to this season and when I sort of invited her in you could just tell there was something about her where she was she was yeah really buying into what we were doing and you know she we, we both agreed that it would be a great move after a few weeks for her to to be part of it and and the club was totally on board and they they've been fantastic in that process and I've really enjoyed having Lisa here she's she's improved me as a coach she's improved the players and offered some experience in you know, in some testing times, and uh, I think she is really enjoying it, and, you know, I'm pleased. But as I said, there's a lot of success stories. We, mm. We've got a lot of players here that are doing really well who haven't been given chances at previous clubs or have sort of been on, on the periphery. Um, and, you know, everyone's coming in and doing a fantastic job, and I'm really I'm really proud. I'm, yeah. I'm really proud of what, what the group's doing. Now, you, you've been a coach for about eight years. You, you obviously had that tough year last year with the glory. Um, this year, again, tough in a different way. Um, you, your first stint as a, the head coach in an A-League W side. Um, what have you learned about yourself in this in this period? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, look, there's certainly been a lot of introspection. Um, there's been a lot of time where 
especially after last season where, you know, you, you've got to stick firm to what your values and beliefs are as a person, as a coach, as a leader. And, you know, this year it sort of yes, crystallised that what I was doing, what I am thinking, how I am operating, um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of there in the, on the right trajectory. Um, you know, I've learned. I've certainly learned to be resilient. I've learned to ensure that we don't always look at, uh, at difficult moments as, you know, just unfortunate. There's always going to be uh, a learning moment out of those difficult moments. So I've just tried to dig really deep and find what the message is um, when things don't go well. There's always going to be a golden nugget there that I've got to find. So I've certainly learned that. And, you know, as I mentioned, I've got some fantastic staff around me as well, which... We're all learning from each other and we try and yeah, make the environment as open as possible where yeah, opinions and ideas and beliefs can be shared and questioned and I think that's really important because at the end of the day we want to create the most yeah, vibrant and, and sort of effective environment that we can for the players and that, that can't just be me. It's a, that's a collective approach and I'm very fortunate that I've got people around me that can help me and that I trust. And, you know, you're young and ambitious and obviously this is um, part of your, your journey and you'd obviously like to be winning the league with the glory. But, you know, in the future, where, where does Alex see himself? Um, do you see yourself as, a, as an A-League men's coach or do you see yourself progressing through the, the women's game, maybe into Europe or the, the national team? Uh, look, mate, I, um, if, I, if I'm being really honest, I, I don't... I try not to think too far ahead like that. I mean, five or six years ago, I was at university thinking that I was about to start a career as a teacher. Um, so to be in the, in the position that I'm in now, I'm just living in the moment. I'm loving the opportunity to work with people that I really value and respect, both players and staff. I'm in a fantastic club, you know, and I, I moved from Sydney to Perth, and it's a fantastic city. Um, you know, we're, we're having we're having a, a reasonably you know good season so far, and that, that's that's all I'm thinking about. The mm. the future will be what it will be, but you know I've got you know I've got a really good support back home in Sydney as well, and you know I think for me it's just you know trying to make uh, the most of the moment, and and what comes will come. Yep. So you, you've got one more game left in in Tasmania. That's um, tomorrow against Sydney. Um, a, a, Big game. I mean, you, you, the last big game you had was was against uh, Victory, which obviously you've, you've won two 0 which has put you in a really good position. But now to to make finals, you need to beat the best of the best. Yeah, and I think that's that's the exciting part. We've got a really great opportunity tomorrow to play against a, a benchmark team, and that's what excites me, and it, it's what excites the players because we we believe in in how we play, we believe in what we're trying to do on the field. And we want to test that against the best, and that's that's what it should be about. Unfortunately, when we played Sydney FC last time, we were a bit off, and it was sort of on the back end of a, a three-game um, period in seven days. And I, I don't think we were able to put on the show that we really wanted to. So that's what it's about tomorrow. It's just about us having the opportunity to play at our best uh, and play our style and, and, and compete against the benchmark team to, to see where we're at. And I, I think the players... Are, yeah, they're in a really good position mentally, physically to uh, to really attack the game and, and give it a real crack. And yeah, I, I'm really excited. And then the plan is after that to come back to Perth. Um, 
That I'm not too sure. That uh, I don't believe so. I think our, our last competi- regular competition game is is in Wollongong. It is um, on, yeah. on Friday this week against Wellington. Yeah. Now, obviously, if we if we do qualify for finals, that extends the season and what happens in, in <laughs> it's that a special respect, reward I'm for not... you for making the finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So look, I'm I'm not too sure and. Uh, look, I think the players are just really focused on the next two matches and the next seven days. Um, we've been away so long that it's almost like, well, things can change so quickly anyway, so we don't want to put too much effort into into what could happen. We just want to focus on what we know is happening. You'll probably want to keep your cards a little bit close to your chest, but in terms of taking on the, the top of the table tomorrow, where do you think you can beat them? Yeah, it's a good question because Sydney are, are really... You know they're a really strong team. They're very cohesive. They've had the same playing group and and coaching staff there for three, four, five seasons. And I think that's uh, you know they're a really really respected group and team in this competition. So certainly the the performance that we need tomorrow needs to be a really strong one. And look for me, it's it's certainly about going after them. I think if we allow them the respect to have the ball to control the game to control the key moments. We're really going to be, yeah, we're going to be up against it. The key message for me all week has been we, we need to believe that we can take it to them and we can control the game. And there might be moments where we don't have the ball, but the, the attitude has to be let's get it back and then let's go after them with the ball. So, yeah, I think that that's the game plan, mate, if, if I'm being pretty pretty honest and in a simple sense. We're, we're just going to go after and look, look to attack them and their goal. Yeah, look, it's the only way to be. There's only one side that can beat them tomorrow, and that's you. Um, they've got to believe as a collective and, and believe it's their right to win. And, um, you know, sometimes these little one percenters make all the difference. You, you've got a very talented group of women there. You've got some, in least, as, you know, one of the most experienced players in the league. And then at the other end, you've got, you know, people like Hannah Lowry, who is mature beyond her years, but uh, just a quality player. It's just, and within that, you've, you've got, you know, a great leader in Tash who, who just motivates the side. So you've got all the individual elements. It's just about how that, that orchestra all comes together on the day. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see why I love my role, because there's so many great players, great people to work with who are, you know, who make going to training enjoyable every day, who make the idea of, you know, waking up and, and, and the staff waking up to put on the the, the best that we can for them. It, it, it's a really enjoyable job that we have and it stimulates us because the group is, yeah, got a lot to offer and that's that's why we're doing what we're doing. Now, if we dare to dream, you make the finals, you, you get to a point where... Um we can can watch a final. Yeah, is there any chance of a home final, or is it all going to be over there and you know everyone staying around your mum and dad's house for the for the game? <laughs> yeah, look, if it, if it was to play out that way, um, I think it'd be really special to have a a home final if if scheduling and and other logistics allowed. I think it would mean a lot to the playing group. I think it yeah, words wouldn't be able to you know put it into justice what it would mean to the players to to play a final at home. Um, you know, as I said, though, that, that's more on the horizon, uh, potentially in the future. We, we need to get the job done in the next seven days and we can dream more about what that might look like. But what I could say is it would be a really special, memorable moment for, for a lot of people. 
Absolutely. Now, I've seen some some stuff on the internet about you know um, the siege mentality stuff and and you know the victimisation of having to be over on the eastern seaboard for so long, and then you know, teams like Wellington have planned for it. You know, but Wellington knew from the start of the season this was going to be their plan for the season. You've had it just sort of thrust upon you. So, um, I think it's great that the team has really gelled and 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 really as a collective, have changed their their history and owned their history. Um, really nice to see them get the benefit of that by by getting a final. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And look, we we knew anything was possible with the scheduling this year. And look, even last year, after we we played seven games in fourteen days last year, and yep. that that in itself was was very difficult to manage. Um, and and what we sort of learnt after last year is that. A, we need to be prepared for anything, and B, if we have the right sort of mindset and, and the togetherness, we can overcome everything. So last year's difficulties for, for us as a club probably weren't shared across the whole competition. That was more more on us, I believe, in my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. But that gave us the grounding for this year. And while some clubs might be going through a little bit of, um, yeah, a little bit more of chaos now with the scheduling and... and you know, some border issues, etc. Whatever's play come come up this year, we, we've already been through. We've already experienced it firsthand last year. Yeah. So it, it wasn't as much of a shock for us as it probably is for some of the other teams this year. No, no experience is ever wasted, is it? It's all all learning and growth experiences. Um, Vince, anything before we wrap up? Uh, no, look, Alex, all the best from everyone in WA here. And you know, as I said, if 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 regardless of whether you make the finals or not, it's been an amazing performance. But if you can somehow, you know, at least get a draw here and a win next week and scrape in or two wins, guarantee yourself a finals. It's one of the most amazing efforts by a team um, in these kind of circumstances. As I said, very few teams have managed to cope with that kind of uncertainty and challenges on the road in the last couple of years across all the different codes of sport. Uh, you've really set a standard here. And I think come the future, not only yourself will draw on your experiences, but other teams will look to how you've managed to cope. So no one would regard you a, a lucky 1-0 win tomorrow or a, a commanding 4-0 win. I think it's it's really um, going to be amazing. So good luck. Oh, mate, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate all the support. I know myself and the players certainly feel it, even though we're on the other side of the country. And yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, really appreciate all the work you guys are doing as well. Thank you very much, Alex. As always, a pleasure and look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Bye. Alex. Yeah, look, a very ambitious young coach does a fantastic job with the glory. Um, you know, they've one of the best signings I think we've made um, anywhere, player or coach. Um, very dedicated to the to the women's game and what it means to be a coach. I think he's. He's pragmatic. He's very thorough. Well, he, I think he alluded to it there as well, though, that, that last year, you know, loss after loss, clearly there was other circumstances, but you'd question yourself. You'd have to wonder, you have, have do, I got but, this completely wrong? But, but you know. I'd like to think myself a, a football purist. I watched those games last year, and, and a lot of them were by a goal. And it was, you know, bad luck, bad choice, or a, and a very young team, but it, they weren't far off, no, and right. and they only got thumped, I think, twice last year mm. by by top sides, um, and with everybody else, they were there or thereabouts. And when you looked at the context of the season, um, and and the context of having no preseason, so he had no time to gel that side pre the season. 
did fantastically well to get them to where they they actually looked like they could win games. And and although they didn't, um, I think most of the the glory fans that watched the the W League games were of the same opinion. They, I I don't mind watching a team that plays to its potential and still loses. You know, um, the early Perth sides were like that for a long time and, and you you don't mind that and particularly when there's lots of locals playing in it you, you, you know it's a project I, I think I, look, I agree with yeah. you and I think you're speaking as a, as a supporter there 100% yeah as a team owner, though, I think oh, yeah. their patience only goes so far. And for you know, for Alex's career, um, which obviously, mm. you know, who knows? Let's hope he goes on to amazing things. This season, given all the things that went against him again, uh, it's really valid. I think you know yeah. he's in a really good spot to really just believe in himself and and how he wanted to go about playing the game and coaching. Because as a young coach, you always yeah. think you know the way it should work but then you're just not quite getting the luck. You do start to question it. So I'm really pleased for him. I'm really pleased for and, the, for and the, the club. Yeah. The club have shown him and respected where he's with mm. the project. And, and like you said, yeah, from an ownership perspective, it's, I think it speaks volumes about Tony and the team there that they've invested in him as a long-term project rather than just yeah, a short-term yeah. round. Now, got a couple of minutes left, so I'd, I'd just like to talk to you about your, your Hall of Fame interview project that you're, you're running. Yeah, we... Um We've, uh, you know, Brett Kluzik actually, I think, had had this idea for quite a, quite a while, and we've um, we've had a hall of fame and a number yeah. of events with people inducted. What we wanted to also do is is just have uh, a visual video interview as well that's accessible for people, you know, digitally as well yeah. online. Uh, and you know, some of our hall of famers are not getting any younger either. So no, they're not. not it's but it's important to capture yeah, that because it, so. once they're gone, they're gone forever. So yeah, by all means, we we should be doing it, and it's nice to have those other platforms use that we mentioned tiktok earlier but it's mm -hmm. it's good to have that digital media there for, for perpetuity That's right and and i think you most people would be aware of a lot of the hall of famers in their general career but but when you actually get a good interviewer and we've, we've had ashley morrison doing some of these interviews uh and you find out some of these little anecdotes and so on it's it's really it's just amazing, and, and I think yeah. it really brings that WA history together and a lot of information that and interesting facts that certainly I wouldn't know, and I'm sure younger people wouldn't have had any idea about I'm sure no one careers. had an idea you're in the diplomatic service. <laughs> so, you know. The careers of some of these people. Yeah. So we, we have, we've certainly we've started a number. We've, I think we've done six or, six or seven already. Uh, yeah. we're, we're aiming, I mean, you know, it all costs money as well. We don't have a yeah. huge amount of funds, but we certainly would like to get a good 10 or so on the board now, and, and we'll continue over the years, and I think it's going to be a great reference point for a lot of these people. The history of our game is so important, and, and we, you know, we don't need or want to lose these people. It's one of my personal things, I take photographs of the games, and I take photographs of the 18s, and I look back on my playing career, and I, no, no photographs exist. It's nice that some of these lads, and I saw one the other day, probably about seven or eight years ago, he was playing for our 18s, and he still uses one of my pictures as his profile picture. So it's fantastic. I think that's the sort of stuff that we need to be doing to preserve the history. Uh, absolutely, and and you know the young the younger kids coming through today who uh, you know fed on the Premier League and glory yep. probably don't have any sense of how big the State League no, and, they, and some of those players don't. have been. So great that we can get it down in history. I mean, people have been involved for twenty five years with the Hall of Fame, and we're certainly looking to celebrate the twenty five year anniversary properly. Once mm -hmm. I think once we can once feel COVID confident about yeah. COVID, yeah, we particularly given the age of some of the the members, we do just need to make sure we're we're doing it right. That'll happen, and. 
it'll be another great night as they have been for a number of times. And Brett hasn't talked you into walking football. Six thirty <laughs> no. Monday night, Ashfield. Turn up. You, you're Look, always welcome. Some, some mornings I feel like that could even be beyond me, but I, I'm no, probably heading to that age good, soon. Good fun. I'll, I'll yeah. talk to Brett. I'll get him to Brett, drag you down one day. All right. Thank you very much, Vince, for stepping in as a co-host. Been an absolute pleasure having you on board. Um, Penny is in next week, so thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Program. Um, take care. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.